Good morning, and welcome to the Truth and Love radio broadcast. This program has been a part of the Mid-South for the last 70 years, faithfully overseen by the Getwold Church of Christ. Truth and Love will carry on lifting up the banner of New Testament Christianity today to the Mid-South area under the oversight of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. Please join us now as Mike Hickson opens the Bible and shares the truth in love. There comes a time in life when we must all say goodbye, whether we want to or not. The fact of the matter is, life at best is very brief. You remember Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James chapter 4 at verse 14. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. Timothy had been a protege of the apostle Paul, privileged to work underneath this great soldier of the cross, to be mentored by one of God's great servants. Paul instructs Timothy to preach the word in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. In verse 5, the instructions are, do the work of an evangelist. Paul, one of the great soldiers of the cross, realized that the time had come for him to say farewell to the world. That time must come for all of us. And yet Paul realized that though he would leave this world, there would still be much to do in the kingdom of God. In our lesson today, I want to call your attention to verses 6 through 8 in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's just talk for a moment or two about the theme when the time comes to say goodbye. And the first thing that we want to accentuate in our study has to do with the departure. Paul makes mention of his departure in verse 6. You remember the Apostle Paul in writing to Timothy, said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. There was the realization on Paul's part that death was imminent. Historians indicate that Paul was beheaded by Nero Caesar. And as I mentioned earlier, that time will come for all of us to bid this world goodbye. It might be that we live to be 70, 80, 90. Some would reach 100 years of age. But as the psalmist said many, many years ago, the time comes when we're cut off and we must fly away. In light of that, the Bible tells us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom, to understand that we're only here for a very brief period of time. And yet you look at the life of Paul and think about all the great things that he did, the labors that he engaged in on behalf of Christ. Paul, in essence, lived a Christ-centered life. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ. The summation of his life was Christ and him crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 2, 
Paul would write to the church in Corinth and say, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. There was the realization that death was imminent. Now, we live in a day and time when people don't like to talk about death. They don't like to think about death. But whether we want to consciously think about it or not, it is a reality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that there is the sting of death. And yet, on the other side of the coin, there's victory. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now as you contemplate the realization of the Apostle Paul that death was coming, there was also the expectation of being in the presence of Almighty God. There was a readiness on his part to be with the Lord. I mentioned a moment ago Philippians chapter 1 in verse 21. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you remember in verse 23, he said to depart and be with Christ is far better. In this context, I think, had we had the opportunity to sit down with the Apostle Paul and ask him, Paul, what would you really, above all, want? He would say, I want to go home and be with the Lord. But in his mind, to live meant to live for Christ. To die meant to go home and be with Christ. So, Really, we might say it like this. For him, it was a win-win situation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would make the statement that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul longed to be in the presence of the Lord that he had served so faithfully through the years. No doubt many, many people will one day be in heaven because of the efforts of the Apostle Paul. His evangelistic efforts were unrivaled in many respects. First and foremost, we talk about his departure. But then there's a second thing that the Apostle Paul makes mention of. It has to do with his devotion. Now, there are a lot of things that we could say about the life of the Apostle Paul. There are many, many glowing commendations that we could, no doubt, itemize as we survey his life. But Paul lived a life devoted to the Lord. I can't help but think about what he said to the churches of Galatia in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20. When Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ which lives in me or who lives in me. Paul there simply saying or acknowledging the fact that his life was bound up in Christ Jesus. You remember in Colossians chapter 3, Paul in writing to the saints in Colossae said that if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or set your affections on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Down in verse 4, Paul makes a very interesting statement that I think is applicable to what we're discussing in terms of his devotion to the Lord. He said, for Christ who is our life. The summation of his life, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You remember Jesus had taught in Matthew chapter 6 at verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I have no doubt in my mind that the apostle Paul sought above all things to serve the Lord, to put the kingdom first, 
to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ was his life. And he made that emphatically clear. What about his devotion? Note, if you would, in verse 7, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. Paul understood that to live the Christian life entailed warfare. I think that in many cases today, we have underestimated the battle that we're facing in this life. To realize that we are up against the one Paul said is the God of this age. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, at verse 4, Jesus identified him as the wicked one and the enemy in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 4, the devil is alluded to as the tempter. You remember the apostle Paul in writing to the church at Ephesus said, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the methodologies of the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter would write, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Is it possible that we have become pacifist in a world filled with spiritual warfare? Listen to Paul over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul, in writing his first letter to Timothy, said, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal. In his second letter, in chapter 2, Paul would say, Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Again, to understand that we're at war. We're involved in a battle. And the battle is one that hinges upon our willingness to engage the enemy and overcome. The devil is doing everything within his power to destroy, to circumvent our faith in the Lord. We've got to put on the whole armor of God, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6. One of the pieces that we are to equip ourselves with is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One of the greatest allies the devil has in this life is a closed Bible. Far too many people in America have forgotten about the necessity of living a life that is guided by the precepts of Scripture. You remember John said in 1 John chapter 5 at verse 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, or the whole world lies in darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. To realize that we are in a world that is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And the only way that we can see clearly is through the power of God's word or through the light of God's word. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 119, 105. The psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. It ought to be discouraging to us to look around in the world today, particularly in America, a country that in many respects was founded by men and women that believed in the ideals of Scripture. 
that recognize that there is only one true and living God. And I really believe that our founding fathers, that they believe that the perpetuity of our nation was tied to our willingness to be governed by the laws of God or to be submissive to the teaching of Scripture how far we have removed ourselves from those ideals. The time is for us to realize the spiritual bankruptcy that is so prevalent in this nation and to look to the God of heaven and to the word of Almighty God. I like the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119 when he said, My heart stands in awe of your word. What a different world we would live in. What a different country we would live in if men and women would humble themselves, submit to the teaching of Scripture, and seek to the best of their ability to walk within the pathway of divine truth. Paul realized Christianity involves a fight, and that fight does not end until we leave this world. But to understand that even though the, the evil one or the tempter is doing everything that he can to destroy us, we can be successful. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 5, when Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He would go on to say, Whom we stand steadfast in the faith, to realize that our goal is to stay strong in the Lord. In the power of his might, Paul would say, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. So number one, Paul realized as a devoted servant of Almighty God that he had been involved in a fight. But then note, if you would, secondly, Paul would say, I have finished the race. To those of us who want to one day live with the Lord in heaven, we have to understand that Christianity is not a sprint, but rather it is a marathon. It is a daily endeavor to live faithfully for the Lord, to understand that we must do everything humanly possible to live a life consecrated to Almighty God, to cross the finish line. Paul looked forward to the day when he would be with the Lord. And, if, and again, if you look at the, the text, Paul said, I fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle Paul points out, that he buffeted his body daily, lest after having preached the gospel to others, he said he himself might become a castaway or become disqualified. You know, there are some folks that begin the Christian life. They begin strong, but over time they begin to falter. And as a result of their spiritual immaturity or their lack of understanding in terms of the importance of being faithful to God, they find themselves back in the world. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul alludes to two brothers that had made shipwreck of the faith 
The Bible speaks of Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Timothy was charged to wage a good warfare. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul speaks of Hymenaeus and Philetus. He said, who concerning the truth have erred, teaching that the resurrection is already past. And he said, they overthrow the faith of some. So there were those in the first century that sadly had left the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, you can almost hear the disappointment in the words of Paul in verse 10, when he said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, if you go back and look at the book of Colossians, for example, in chapter 4, you'll read of a fellow by the name of Demas. Demas at one time had been a co-laborer of the apostle Paul. They had stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder, serving the Lord, faithfully doing what they could to advance the cause of Christ. The time of Paul's writing, about A.D. 61 or 62. Six years later, Paul is saying, look, this man that at one time, this brother that had been a soldier, a fellow patriot in the Lord's army, he's gone back into the world. I would hope and pray that those who have obeyed the gospel and have gone back into the world, that they would awaken and recognize the importance of coming home as the prodigal did, as spoken of by Jesus in Luke 15. So Paul's saying, look, I have finished the race. There are people in our country. They are tremendous in the art of sales. They know how to close the deal. They can take a product or service, and they can sit down face-to-face with the prospective client. They can sell that product, that service, close the deal. What Paul's saying here is that if we want to go to heaven, if we want to be in the presence of God one day, that we must finish the race. We've got to close the deal, so to speak. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said, I fought the good fight. He said, I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. One of the things that Paul, in writing to Timothy, acknowledges here is that he had been faithful to the Lord. There's something to be said about reliability, trustworthiness. There are homes today that have been shattered because a husband or a wife, in some cases, both, were unreliable, untrustworthy in the context of marriage. And so, rather than being faithful, they were unfaithful. We see it every day in the world in which we live. In America, there was a day and time when many people conducted business with merely the shake of a hand because a person's word meant something. There was a sense of trustworthiness or reliability. They backed up what they said with action. Well, Paul here is saying, look, I have kept the faith. I would pray that those of us that have been baptized into Christ have put him on and that are in Christ, that we are doing our best to keep the faith, to understand that trials, tribulations, 
and temptations are a natural part of life. I mean, go back and look at the life of Paul. Paul faced any number of setbacks in his ministry. You can read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul categorizes a wide variety of trials that he experienced. And then he talked about the anxiety that he had for all the churches. Paul faced a lot of hardships in his ministry. You remember back in Philippians, or rather back in Acts chapter 16, when the apostle Paul and Silas, they were in Philippi. They had been apprehended. The Bible tells us that many stripes had been laid upon their backs. They were placed in the inner prison. Their feet were fastened in stocks. And yet Luke says at midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. Did they suffer for the cause of Christ? Yes, they did. But they remained faithful to the Lord. James makes an interesting statement over in James chapter 1. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials or various trials. That seems odd, doesn't it? To rejoice or to find joy in the trials of life. I don't believe that James is saying that when we're in the middle of a storm in life, that we rejoice in that circumstance. But I do think that what he is saying is that once we come out on the other side of that particular circumstance or trial, we can look back and say, you know what, I learned some things. James tells us that one of the byproducts of the trials of life is patience or perseverance. And then, of course, in James chapter 1, the Bible tells us that not only are those outward trials a part of life, but there are those inward trials. You remember James said, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God, can, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. And lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. To understand that as we live in this world, that temptation will be an everyday experience. In Luke chapter 4, we have an account of Jesus being tempted by the devil. And you remember the devil posed three different and distinct temptations to the Lord. The Lord was successful in each and every instance. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the Lord was able to stave off the overtures of the devil by quoting scripture. He said, it is written. But then down in verse 13, the Bible tells us that once the devil had ended those temptations, or once the Lord had experienced those temptations, that the devil left him until an opportune time. Well, what was he saying there? I think what the writer is saying is that the Lord was victorious on that occasion. But that didn't mean that the devil wasn't going to be back the next day, the next day after that. And that's the way it is with temptation. We might be successful today, but to understand that when we get up in the morning, we've got to arm ourselves for a fight. Again, as Paul said, we've got to fight the good fight of faith. Paul was an able soldier in the Lord's army. And Paul would say in a, in, in a very emphatic way that he had kept 
the faith. The goal is to be faithful in the face of death. Remember in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, the Lord said, be faithful unto death. And the idea is, in the face of death, you stay strong and be faithful to me. In so doing, I will bestow on you the crown of life, that is the victor's crown. But then we are to also be faithful until death, that is, until the Lord calls us home. We want to live faithfully in his sight day in and day out, so that one day we can hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now there's a final thought I want to share with you. We've talked about his departure, his devotion, but now consider in the third place, his destiny. In verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Did you hear what Paul said? Paul said that there was laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, would give him on that day. There are many people in the world today, when it comes to the thought of death, leaving this world, there's fear, apprehension, concern, a lack of security. But that's not what you hear in the words of Paul. No wavering, no wondering, no hope so, think so, maybe so, but rather conviction, absolute confidence. You remember back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talked about how the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Down in verse 16, Paul said, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen, he said, are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Now make the transition into chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, For we know that if this earthly house, this tent, this physical body be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. Paul there simply saying that, look, I have absolute confidence that when my body gives way to death, as he said, that he would be in the presence of Almighty God. Because in that same context, he would say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now listen again to what he said. For we know, we know that if this earthly house be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. When you have the opportunity, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul there talks about the resurrection of the body. There'll be a day when the body will be raised, reunited with the spirit or the soul. And those of us who have lived for God, we will spend eternity. We will spend the ceaseless ages to come in the presence of God and his people. Could I ask you a question? Are you prepared to leave this world? Now you may say, I don't know. It may be the case that you're thinking, no, I'm not prepared. Well, what would I need to do? Well, let me just share with you what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible says in John chapter 8, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Jesus speaking there, that we must come to believe that he is the divine son of God. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him, according to the Hebrew writer in chapter 11. And then to repent of our sins and be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Acts 2 verse 38. When we do that, we enjoy the washing away of all of our sins. We're added to the body of Christ, Acts 2 verse 47, and we live as the Apostle Paul said in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. I pray today that when the time comes for you to say goodbye, that you can leave this world and enter into the presence of a loving God. God bless. Thank you for listening today. We would love to have you visit with us at the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandridge Road, Olive Branch, Mississippi, 38654. We meet for Sunday Bible study at 9 a.m. Worship is at 10 a.m. Sunday afternoon study is at 1 p.m. Tuesday morning class, Bible class, is at 10 a.m. Wednesday evening Bible class at 7 p.m. Please visit our website, www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org.